Welcome, Eric. Hey, Eric. Welcome. Thank you for joining me on Dr. Mahomes Christian Podcast. Thank you that uh, uh, for being the intern for so many years. We really appreciate you. It just <laughs> these inter- these intros are so terrible now. Hey, everybody! You welcome. So ran out of ideas. <laughs> welcome to Nacho Mama's Christian Podcast, a Christian podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. I'm your host Shane, and I'm with my brother. And I appreciate you Shut being with up. me. Shut up! No, you don't. <laughs> You're just saying that because that's what we're talking about in this episode. So we, we did a great interview today with Diana Butler Bass about her book. Grateful. Grateful. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, oh, what are we talk about in the intro? And so you literally went, oh, I got my intro idea. So I'm talking about being grateful. I'm just literally going to say thank you. And that's you being creative. That's we, we, we try to get new listeners. We try to put some effort in this. And that's your creativity coming out. That we're talking about gratefulness. So you just say, grateful, grateful. Not your most Christian podcast. Well, you've obviously learned nothing from the interview <laughs> that we had. Because I'm trying to be grateful for the things that are in my life. Like what? Uh, like me? I mean, yeah, I guess. Look at my eyes and No, uh, <laughs> no, no way. But uh, I've, I've realized um, uh, doing this interview with, with Diana uh, that I'm not very grateful for things. It's, what's weird is I find as a pastor, mm-hmm. I'm grateful to, to volunteers and the staff. Well, especially as a church plant. Yeah, because you need, I mean, you need the people. Well, and as a I, person, yeah. Not pastor roles. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm that grateful. Oh yeah, I, but I, I think agree. I'm aware of it. So like, we <laughs> so it makes it okay. Well, like I think being aware of it's step one because there's a lot of people that aren't grateful that aren't aware they're not grateful. Mm-hmm. So if you're aware that you're not that grateful, then you can force yourself to be more grateful. How many times is I grateful in that sentence? A lot. <laughs> um, but when I'm a when I do like pastor role type type situations or type when you put on your pastor hat i put on my pastor (laughs) like uh, for example we had a worship vision night for our Uh church plant um and we had a listener uh that helped us at our worship vision night oh really Uh, a patron really yep uh i'll I'll give him a shout out because i'm sure he's listening to josh so he is martin campers josh long okay he's martin campers cousin he he's nice. he's a nymer and Ooh. I hit him up because he played piano and he just wanted to play piano and there he was. Anyways, so when I do things like that, I find that I I can be pretty grateful because I understand the people are mm-hmm. going out of their way to come and help and they're they see the vision that I have and that our staff has and they're joining that vision right. and making it their vision and now they're they're helping. So people come early, they help set up, they tear down, whatever. Mm-hmm. So. I have a stack of thank you cards that are by my desk, and I whenever I think of somebody yeah. or what they did, I write it and send it to them, or I take it with me. Um, when I got home from that worship vision night, I just texted a bunch of people that I feel like I talked to a lot. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Whatever. Mm, yeah. So when it comes to pastor stuff, I think I'm pretty good, yeah. especially at a church plant because I, at, at for us at City on the Hill, and it will be for you at Impact, is that um, you know I'm the only one who gets us gets a paycheck yeah. out of everybody there, yeah. and people spend hours and hours and hours helping. Like this past weekend with a Easter and we had our spring fling event. I mean, like my staff, especially, but not just my staff, the whole, all of our volunteers, they spent so much time helping. And like, so it's easy to be grateful for those things and it's easy to, to appreciate those things. But in my normal everyday life, it is so easy to be negative about everything. Yeah. It's so easy to look at everything and be like, oh, this is, or especially like, even if you're just driving, let's say, like, it's so easy to be 
negative about everything that's happening around around you or or I just went grocery shopping this morning yeah. and walking through the grocery store you know what that's one area that where I really can be easily irritated is people with shopping carts oh yeah get out of the way get out of the way right and and someone who has no clue about what's going on not yep. not where going they're really surrounded slow, and they're just walking in the middle, in the middle. Gotta say excuse me excuse yeah. me can you can't get, get around yeah. can't get around. Just, yeah. would you look yeah. would you pay it's called common yeah. courtesy hey, hello hello I'm right behind you yeah um, or the person that I always get annoyed when there's only like four self checkouts mm-hmm. and somebody has a cart full of stuff and they go through the self checkout. You, you, you get annoyed with there's that. There's no rules, uh-huh. but there's a rule. You don't go with a cart full of stuff. So it's you gonna s- take you 20 minutes for you to self check it. You go go to a normal person. So you and sound do a lot faster. You sound like you ma- don't agree with that. You sound like Major League Baseball right now about these unwritten rules. You don't agree with that. Um, you're okay when a guy. Or a girl has a shopping cart full to the brim, and uh-huh. they self check out everything by themselves. There's only four of them. You gotta wait. Well, first off, how many? Uh, most stores now have more than one. Have this more one than has four. four. Okay. Well, uh, either way, if there's not a sign, you can't get mad. If there's not I, a sign that says twelve items or fewer or anything first like off, that, I disagree. I can get mad because I do get mad. <laughs> but <laughs> you but have no grounds. I, I understand. You have no grounds I can't to get go mad. Yell at them. But They're it's not just, breaking the rules. I know, Shane. But it's just you. It's a thing. Like, come on, you know, you're not common courtesy. To, you're I, not supposed to go no, with a full cart. That's this is not for you. This is you're I'll you're supposed you to go to the person who can do it no, professionally quickly. This is I I don't get mad at that. But what I do get mad at is when you it's the self checkout and it's like everybody waits in one line and then as as a station opens you have to walk over yeah. to it. I do get mad when somebody when a station opens and somebody doesn't notice. I get mad at that. You know what I mean? And they're just still standing there, just looking around, or they're on their phone, and it's like there's an open register right there. So what do you do? And they're not paying attention. Hey! (laughs) There's a line right there. You better go over there. I wait. I wait. This is the other question: is how long do you wait before you beep at a car when the light turns green? See, what's weird? I don't get mad about that. Oh, I do. I just go. I just like. Oh, they're not paying attention. It's all right. Boop boop. Yeah, but how long? How long do you wait? You got to give them an opportunity, right? I go. All right, so one Mississippi, yeah, two two Mississippi, Mississippi. <laughs> three Mississippi, four Mississippi. At four Mississippi, it's it's. A yeah, weird. I agree with that. And I just do a little light, yeah, and then, yeah, and then I wave. Uh-huh. And I go, I get it. Yeah, that's no, okay. okay. I've been there. Now you, you don't do that. I, You're like, yeah. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not get too mad. But if somebody cuts me off, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, anyways, we're supposed to be talking about being grateful. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about all the ways that we are not grateful. Yeah, I. So I feel like in personal life, yeah, it's very easy to. Um, just start to ex- when when you when somebody does something nice for you, then you just start to expect it. Yeah, yeah. So when we, you and me are both super lucky when it comes to people that will watch our kids. Yeah, I have so many people, especially when Brooklyn was first born, because mm-hmm. you didn't have any kids, mm-hmm. and and so literally, where some some people that are listening are getting mad at this that they can never find babysitters. Yeah. I have people that get mad at me if I don't ask them. Yeah, yeah. So. I have I never have an issue when it comes to babysitting ever. Right, the free babysitting is enough to make me always stay in Maryland. Yeah, I I because I have you. Yep. I have my sister. I have my parents. I have my in laws. Yep. We're the same way. And then I have Amy. I have Topper. That if he absolutely asks, we will for free. You don't you don't want to trust him with your. <laughs> I've done it once. <laughs> um, that's desperate times. <laughs> and then there's a couple other people that I can then call. Yeah. Um, so I have so many options when it comes to babysitting that. Every once in a blue moon, if everyone's busy, I get pissed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then I have to look back, like, why am I mad? Yeah, Literally, they, they don't owe you. I know they don't owe me, but you just get so used yeah, to I know the you way mean. you're being treated, uh-huh. and you 
and that's where I realize I'm not grateful enough. Yeah. Because if I was grateful, I wouldn't get mad about that kind of thing. Because first off, they're only doing me a favor. Yeah. So I, why, I watch their kid all the time. I do this. Like, why can't they watch? And and it's easy when you're not grateful of the heart heart of mm-hmm. of who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. It's so or like if somebody does you a favor and they and they don't do it the way that you want them to, or or if they I don't know make any slight little mistake and getting so mad and irritated so quickly yeah. and easily I can I can easily do that and um, uh, that's why we're really excited about this interview that we have with Diana because it's all about how how are we able to be grateful in our everyday life not just not just when things are going well or things are going great but even when things are going bad because that is a biblical uh, theology is to be grateful no matter the circumstances which is much easier said than done yeah and she talks about Jesus and and the politics of the day in Rome, which which mm-hmm. uh, we we found really fascinating when yeah. she talked about that. She talks about how a lot of times gratitude becomes something that's debt debtor. Um, yeah. But it's it's a great interview. So let's let's not um, dilly dally. Stop saying dilly dally. Um, but oh, another ba- cool thing is to her book, yes. Diana Butler Bass, comes out today. Today. So go get it. You're listening to it. You go go go, 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 stop, go on Amazon. Stop. Get it. Pause it. Pause pa- it right pause now. It. Pause oh, yeah. it. We'll wait, we'll wait. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Okay, you got it? You got it, you got it, perfect. All right, now we're going to pause so you can read it. Yeah, pause. It was good, wasn't it? The speed readers. <laughs> you guys, so yeah, make sure make sure you get her book. We really appreciate her time uh-huh. being on here, but uh, let's, let's get right to our interview with Dan. Diana, we are actually um, in Baltimore, and you you live in uh, Virginia, Northern Virginia. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I wish I'd known you were there because I would have just said, Suzanne, let's let's meet some <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, how how much do you love the traffic? Oh. Oh well, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. I tell you what, oh. the, the the traffic going into DC makes me not want to go to DC. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we have kind of bad traffic around around Baltimore, but nothing no. in comparison to Northern Virginia or DC traffic. Oh. Nothing. You know, I I I realize that we live with it all the time, and so it almost becomes something you can kind of ignore. But it is pretty brutal. So I I appreciate that very much. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday, I had to go into Sojourners, and I was doing a. a sit down magazine piece with them uh-huh. and um i i was complaining mightily i wanted them to come to me yeah. <laughs> i don't blame you and it doesn't matter what time of day it is what day of the week it is if you are going anywhere close to dc or northern virginia there's going to be traffic well the weird part about that for you all of course is that you have to head towards us in order to get to your airport. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. For for yeah, for a certain well, we're we're close to BWI airport, but that but if okay. you want to go to it doesn't go as many places as Dulles. So a lot of times you still have to go down into D C to to fly out of there. So it can make it kind of tough, that's for sure. So, so do you do you live like in Ellicott City or Columbia or actually, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we live in Elkridge. Yeah. Okay, yep. I think I know about where that is. It's, it's was, Columbia. It's yeah. it's basically Columbia, Elegant City. Okay, because my my uh, great uncle who died a couple years ago at like ninety two, founded the 
Foursquare Gospel Church in Ellicott City. Oh, really? Really? Wow. That's interesting, because I know, yeah, of a few Foursquare churches. That's that's pretty funny. And I, I work in Ellicott City. I worked in a church in Ellicott City. We're actually currently sitting in the basement of that church yeah, that's <laughs> doing right. this interview. And and uh, and then the church that I'm a pastor of is actually, the, the address is Ellicott City. So we're, we're all right there. Oh, it's so funny, because uh, that, I mean, my fam- that's my family's history. Sort of yeah, territory. that's it's awesome. All, so, all Baltimore. Yeah, that's great. So, Diana, you wrote you wrote a book called uh, Grateful, and uh, and it's a really interesting book. And I and we saw a couple of your videos on YouTube of you uh, talking about the book and and how you wouldn't really expect someone to write a whole book on being grateful. Uh, and and it's really cool to see how you talk about even with living down in in Northern Virginia and all the traffic that you got to deal with. I'm surprised <laughs> that you're able to be grateful for a lot of the things. But give us a little bit of background as to how you came to write this book um, and and why you decided to write a book on being grateful. Well, the there were sort of two things that combined uh, with the initial idea. Is that in uh, two, October 2015, my last book was published, mm-hmm. and it was a book called Grounded. And the subtitle of that book was Finding God in the World. And what that book was all about, it was a theology, basically, of rediscovering a completely uh, intimate and imminent view or experience of God, that God is with us here, not just on some far distant planet, but God is present in our, the world of nature and the world of neighbor. And that's important when it comes to the next book, because what I do as a writer is I always look at my last book and I say, okay, what are the unanswered questions in my last book? So when I reread Grounded, um, which was in the late fall of 2015, even though the book was just out, I wrote it, you know, a year before that. So, so the book is just out, but I reread it because I was trying to think about my next project. And I realized that the thing I had not included was if indeed God is here with us in the world of our neighbors and nature, then what kinds of spiritual practices should we be doing in our own lives that help us to get more deeply into that reality? And so I was thinking about that question. And I was thinking about also my own life. Um, and I just turned 59, and it's like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? How did that happen? Um, and my friends who are older always say, oh, that's young. And then my friends who are like in their 30s and 40s kind of look at me like, going, oh wow, you're that old. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I just turned, you know, I just turned 59, and I was, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, well, what do I really want out of my life over the next couple decades? And I was looking at friends that are older. And I realized that it, there's this real possibility when you get a bit older that you can live out of the regrets of all the things that didn't happen in your life, or you can live out of a deep sense of appreciation and gratitude for the things that did happen. Oh, that's good. And when it came down to it, I wanted to be more like the latter than the former, because I have friends that fall in both of those categories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was thinking about spiritual practices. I was thinking about what kinds of spiritual practices emerge from a truly grounded life. And what kind of person do I want to be as I face these wonderful, amazing decades of emerging elderhood? 
So those two things conspired, and I began to think, oh, gratitude. Gratitude. That's something I don't understand terribly well. I want to be grateful. And I think that gratefulness is a spiritual practice that we really need in the world. So yeah. those those things came together for me. And by the end of 2015, I was already beginning to write the first uh, little bits uh, of the book. And uh, the contract for the book was signed at the beginning of 2016. Okay. Um, and you, you talk about it, especially at the beginning of the book, about how you don't find or you don't feel like that you are that grateful of a person. And when I was reading, I was like, I definitely feel that way. Like at times, like I just don't like writing thank you notes and stuff is a pain and like things like that. Like I just, or I say thank you because I have to say it. Um, so how do you go from having that kind of personality or just, or just being that type of person where gratefulness is not natural and how do we actually start to apply it practically into our lives? Well, that's a, that was part of my, my journey throughout the book. There are sometimes uh, when an author writes a book and you write it because you're really confident about the subject and it's something you know super well. And so, so I have several books like that. I've written books about congregations and I studied congregations. I wrote a book about church history. I have a PhD in American religious history. So you write a book out of that sense of expertise and knowledge, and you want to share that with the world. Uh, grateful is not that book. Uh, you know, grateful <laughs> is really a book that I come out of the gate and I say I'm really bad at this. Yeah, mm. and um, I I want to figure out how to do it better. Yeah, and it's I think so that that most of our world would be really bad at this, and and I don't think that we are that we are even aware that we are bad at this. Mm -hmm. But I would say that's a case in, in most situations. Yeah. The, uh, since you read the book, you know that um, near the beginning, I also talk about a sort of odd thing as I'm thinking about potentially, you know, writing a book on gratitude. Two surveys came across my desk in the same week. And this was right around Thanksgiving in 2015. Uh, one was a survey that said, the question was, have you in the last week felt a deep sense of gratitude? And 78% of Americans, you know, roughly 8 out of 10, uh, said yes to that question. Mm -hmm. And I was astonished yeah. by that, num that number. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh. Because um, my first thought was, well, I'm not one of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Which was really terrible to admit to myself. But... I, it made me feel kind of alone and mm. sort of like, oh, my goodness gracious, everybody else is so grateful and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're with you. We're yeah, with you. Yeah, you're not the only one. <laughs> I think you're the 22% as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was my first thought. You know, I felt kind of deeply inadequate, which I've always felt about the practice of gratitude. Um, but then the second survey came across my desk. And that was a survey on the emotional complexity of the American electorate going into the 2016 election. So a group called Public Religion Research had tried to get at what were the core emotional issues driving the election that was mm -hmm. about to happen. Uh -huh. And um, they discovered that Americans were angrier, less hopeful, and more divided than ever. 
Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and that was the one that seemed real to me. And so I looked at this two, these two sets of data, and I just went, what the heck is going on here? Because I knew just enough about gratitude to know that um, medical researchers and psychologists and all these kinds of people say that gratitude is good for us. Yeah. And so if you're grateful, that means you're going to be less fearful. It means you're going to be happier. You're healthier. You're going to have better sorts of overall outcomes. You have deeper social ties, you know, all this stuff. And yet the other set of data was saying exactly the opposite, you know, that we are actually not happier, we're more stressed, we are angry, all this other thing. And so I thought to myself, what's going on here? How can these two things be true? And uh, this became sort of the, the driving focus of the book, going into uh, what I call the gratitude gap uh, between what will tell a surveyor about how we feel. Because evidently we, we want people to think we're grateful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, versus the more nuanced experiences that we're all having right now of living in a society that is deeply divided and angry. And um, so how do those things, you know, work together? And that was all complicated by the fact that here I have this this um, contract to write a book on gratitude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and believe me, I, I started writing it in 2016. I got so distracted and so dismayed by what was going on with the primaries mm-hmm. that I couldn't write the book. And I, I put it down for a couple months. And I kept saying to myself, okay, once the elections are over in November, once the elections are over in November, I'll be able to get back to this book because everything will settle down, everything mm-hmm. will go back to normal, and uh, frankly, I'm just going to feel better. I'll just feel you know, like I can finally write a book about gratitude. Mm-hmm. And that's not what happened. No. <laughs> and so, so I, I woke up on November 9th, and I, and I literally said to my husband, did I dream that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my husband said, no, that really happened. And I just, for about the next six weeks, I curled up and cried. And um, then I thought, okay, well, I've got to write this book. And how in the world does gratitude, what does gratitude have anything to do with any of this? Yeah. But now in, now, a, in a day and age now where in, in the climate we are currently in, like we need to find ways to be grateful even more, especially when people are are hurt and they're confused and what's happening and it just like the side just seem to keep getting wider and and the gap keeps getting bigger we this is why it's it's even more important but how do you write a book about being grateful in a time where you don't feel grateful at all and you're actually like upset and mad yeah, well, I suppose having a contract hanging over your neck is a good thing. <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. But but it was interesting because it actually taught me a lot about gratitude. Was the and and um although, you know, I I'm sharing with you a little bit more of the backstory here, and I do mention it in the book. I talk about it in the back of the book. Yeah. And I wouldn't want people to think that this is just like a Trump book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really truly is a gratitude book that happens to have been written in this particular moment uh-huh. um, of our culture. And so what's happening in the world around us comes into the book, mm-hmm. but that's the focus is really on this spiritual practice and how it helps us to live. So, so anyway, the, um, for me, 
uh, I thought, and I just, I can't write a book unless I'm really living it. And that's why I put it on the shelf in late 2016, because I couldn't really feel grateful. And I thought if I didn't feel grateful, I couldn't write a book about gratitude. So then I got the contract, and we're into 2017. And I began to look at the calendar, and I thought, well, I've got to write this, or otherwise I'm going to miss my deadline, which was in... Um, like May 1st, I think was the date. And so I uh, said, all right, I woke up. It's about a, maybe three or four days before the inauguration. And I said, what am I thankful for today? And I looked in the mirror and I said, Barack Obama is president for three more days. <laughs> and okay, go to work. And I went down to my office and I started working. And that's basically how every day went. <laughs> <laughs> For the next hundred days, as I wrote the first draft in the first one hundred days of Donald Trump being president, and what I would literally do is I'd wake up in the morning, I'd sort of see Twitter, I'd see the Washington Post because I live in D.C., um, I'd glance at Morning Joe or you know CNN or what have you, and I'd say, "Oh my gosh, everything is just unbelievable." And then I would go into my office, and I would sit there, I would refocus my energy, I would think of one thing that I was grateful for. There was one week where it was, uh, I'm thankful that no one has blown up the world yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, even if you if you're listening and if you are you know a Donald Trump supporter or not, if you're happy whether he's the president or not, then uh, there are still things that you can look around and be upset about, regardless. You know, because nobody is is happy about the state of our world currently. Uh, well, I shouldn't. I, I would assume that very few people are. <laughs> um, but uh, even if you're happy about the results of of what has happened, uh, there are still so many things that that can bother us down constantly. And so you talk a lot about um, how you see Jesus use gratitude in the New Testament and and how we can learn from his example and how we can apply that to our lives. So, so what did you what did you gain from that? Yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, asking that part of it, because mm -hmm. for me, that actually becomes the most important part. And I do want to underscore the fact that when I talk about, you know, how bad I felt mm -hmm. post the, the election, it, th those are my feelings. Yes. You know, and those are my feelings that made it very difficult to feel grateful and write a book about gratitude. And mm -hmm. and I am perfectly um, understandable that other people might have had other feelings, but it does not dismiss the the power of gratitude Absolutely. as a sort of deeply binding and mm -hmm. radical possibility for all of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the piece about uh, that was so you ask, you know, how do you get from one sort of thing to the other? And what mm -hmm. one of the things I'm I'm confident we have done is that we've privatized gratitude. You, you know, we see gratitude mm. mostly as a feeling and we see it as something deeply personal. Yeah. And so we've separated it from our communal lives and our public lives, which is kind of weird in some ways because you can't actually be truly grateful. I mean, to be a grateful person, you have to have gotten a gift. And gifts and gratitude are absolutely profoundly connected. Hmm. And the only way that human beings get gifts is if somebody else has given them to you. Yeah. So you can't actually privatize gratitude, even though we try to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, because it always involves somebody else. 
And if you don't happen to be, uh, you know, a theist, uh, for example, usually uh, Christians talk about God being the giver of gifts, or you might get a gift from somebody who is a close associate. But even if you're not a theist, if you're a humanist, or, you know, just a complete secular person, the universe gives gifts. You know, the sun mm -hmm. comes up. Yeah, and that's the, right. And the sun is a gift of the natural order of things. And if you don't believe in God, it's very easy to just say, oh, I'm so grateful that this is the way the universe was established. And this universe continues to give its gifts no matter what's going on in the world. Hmm. And so... Um, so uh, so you have to have a gift in order to get grateful, and a gift involves some other source of the gift. Hmm. So so gifts are and gratitude are inherently communal. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And um, that's where I started sort of paying attention to how we deploy gifts in our culture and um, how we talk about gifts and gratitude in our social and political lives, and then also what the biblical traditions are mm. that are related to gifts and gratitude. And uh, I was surprised by yeah. some, some I, of the things I discovered. Yeah, I mean, there's you talk a lot about um, Jesus, and you even talk about the table, and um, just some, some really powerful things that, that we find in the New Testament that kind of counteracts the, the social climate we're living in today that that I thought as as we're we're two pastors and most of our listeners uh, would would most likely identify as a Christian so they believe in in Jesus and and all that stuff it, the scene how he used gratefulness and mm -hmm. modeled it it it's a way better example for us than we even realize. And we just more take it for granted, honestly of, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah. Whatever. But then we al almost have a idea of, well, we kind of earn this and we do that with grace too, where we feel like if we're really good people, we, we kind of earn it, which is the opposite of what grace is. Right. And, and for me, the, the aha moment came when I was thinking about the social and political structure in which, you know, so I was looking around the New Testament to find stories about gratefulness and thanksgiving. You know, how did Jesus talk about these things? Uh, but the real aha for me came when I realized that every time Jesus is talking about gifts and, and grace and gratitude, it isn't, it's not amorphous. It's doesn't, it's not free floating. Jesus is talking about those things within a very specific social and political context. And those things, th that context is the Roman Empire. And as soon as I, I kind of got there, it was like every light went off for me in terms of history, theology, and spirituality. Because the Roman Empire was, you know, it's a pyramid-structured uh vision of society where you've got Caesar on the top and then you've got all the rich people who are Caesar's friends who kind of come next to the pyramid. Yeah. And then you have, um, you know, sort of magistrates and soldiers, and then you have people who are free laborers and then you have, uh, folks who are, are peasant farmers. And then you have at the bottom of the social pyramid slaves. And, and those kinds of really, uh, hierarchical strict pyramid structures, I've always wondered about those. You know, how in the world does a pyramid stay stable? Because even though all the people, the bulk of the people are on the bottom, right? 
the bulk of the wealth and power is at the top. You know, so it's inherently an unstable social structure. And yet pyramids wind up being one of, you know, the dominant form of social structure throughout Western history. And there they are, you know, in, in the New Testament. And so here you have this pyramid structure of ancient Rome. And the thing that kept it stable was gratitude. Hmm. And what we forget or don't even know to begin with is that Caesar was called the Lord and Savior of the universe. Yeah. That was one of his titles. And so the idea in ancient Rome was that Caesar, Lord and Savior of the universe, every single thing that anyone had in the whole of the Roman Empire was a gift of Caesar's grace to everyone else. And so every good gift, everything, every scrap of bread, if you're only a slave on the bottom, every scrap of bread you could ever eat fell directly from the hand of Caesar. And that stuff was actually, it had a name in Latin, those gifts. It was called the gratia. It was Caesar's grace and favor, and it spread and extended through the whole of the Roman Empire. Now, the thing with Caesar is that it didn't come for free. Mm, yeah. In, instead, it came, if Caesar gave you a gift, you had to do something in return. And so that, so Caesar gave you a gift, gratia, and then you were obligated to return gratia, which now is called gratitude, mm -hmm. it, uh, to Caesar for the fact that Caesar gave you a gift. It's the same word in Latin, but one hand it comes from Caesar and the other hand it comes from the people who have been given the gifts. And uh, the gifts were things like, you know, paying your taxes, uh, going to the temple and worshiping Caesar as God, uh, letting, you know, giving your son to serve in the Roman army. Um, and when I talk about taxes in Rome, uh, in where Jesus lived, for example, those peasant fishermen that he hung out with, those people were required to pay back to the Roman Empire 90% wow. yep. of everything that they caught. And they could keep 5% for themselves, and usually then 5% went to, you know, sort of, the temple tithe or something like that, you know, to pay for religious obligations. And so, um, so you're talking about, a, we're talking about an economic structure that demanded if, C if Caesar gave you bread, you give Caesar back 90% of the fish you catch. Yeah, wow. Mm. And if you didn't do that, if you did not meet those obligations of gratitude, of your loyalty, your tithe, your, your complete and utter devotion to Caesar. If you didn't do that, you could be exiled, killed, stripped of your, any sort of land you had, uh, sent, you know, far away, imprisoned, whatever. Mm. Caesar could do with you whatever Caesar wanted. Wow. But that was the structure. The social, that was how the pyramid survived. Was this interwoven set of obligatory debts and duty that gifts came from Caesar and you had to respond in kind. Hmm. Otherwise there would be a terrible penalty to pay. 
So that's how people understand gratitude. And those are the words in Latin for gratitude. <laughs> and, and so Jesus comes on the scene and he starts talking about, uh, for example, in Luke 14, he says, hey, when, when you all give a party, don't invite the people who are your family and your rich friends that they can repay you. But instead, when you have a party, invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, all the people who cannot repay you, and then you shall be blessed. And so Jesus says that, and what he's doing is he's actually taking a direct slap in the face yeah. to the whole structure of the ancient Roman Empire, because he's, the ancient structure of the Roman Empire is based on payback. Mm-hmm. He's, fl- and, he's flipping it upside down. Yep. And he's saying, no, no payback. He says, you give gifts with no expectation of return. And it is the biggest political takedown of Caesar that you could possibly be saying. And the people who are around Jesus know this. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus just attracts so much attention. I mean, that, that's, because they know. Yeah. That that's fascinating. They know that he's, it's so, political. Yeah, yeah. Because because when I when when most of us read read that story in, in the Bible, you just think, oh yeah, it's just a no, no way to be grateful. But it's it's way more than that. It's it's flipping the whole thing, and it's an, and it's almost an attack on the whole structure and everything that's going on ar- around him, which he did a lot when it comes to the Pharisees and the political system and the structures as it was. Right. It exactly. Is one hundred percent of a criticism in the strongest possible way of the structure of society, a society that is built on a corrupted idea of gratitude. And um, you know, if you think about the ways we still talk about gratitude in contemporary culture, how much is left from that sort of ancient Roman structure? Mm. We still talk about something called noblesse oblige, and that's the idea that the nobles can give benevolently. And so that's the idea that gifts could be given with no sort of ulterior motives, that you can simply give out of your obligation of your wealth and status in order to benefit the whole of the empire. Mm -hmm. Noblesse oblige. Um, We talk about quid pro quo. Yep. And that's the idea of, I'll give you this gift, but I expect you to act this way in return Mm -hmm. and if you don't i'll never give you another gift and so we have no bless oblige we have quid pro quo we talk about when someone gives us a gift you occasionally hear people say that i'm in your debt yep and that whole idea of gratitude of the gifts coming from the person who is above you in social status or the person who has benefited you that you owe them something until the debt is discharged uh, is very much part of the ancient Roman system, and it was part of the oppressive structure. Because the more Caesar gave you up here at the bottom, the more was demanded of you to return. And so what happened was the people in the lower classes ran up these huge debts of gratitude that they could never pay. And so they were literally being enslaved uh, by these debts of gratitude and working all the time to try to discharge a debt that they would live with for the rest of their lives. And so that was one of the things that kept people politically oppressed, is these these huge debts that mounted. 
And so, so our languages of gratitude still today are very, they echo the power of this ancient Roman structure. And that, of course, was not what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching that gifts were free, that we live in a universe of abundance, and that people just share gifts without any expectation of return. And he even prayed when they asked him, you know, how do we, Lord, how do we pray? He said, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, and this like corrupted idea of gratitude, like you said, this idea of debt debtor relationships, it's, it's just so interwoven mm-hmm. into us as people. I, I remember it's how we operate. Yeah, I remember when um, we got a gift once from my my wife's grandparents, and we forgot to write a thank you note. And we got a call three weeks later saying, "Hey, um, I, it was a passive aggressive way of being like, hey, I just I, I wanted, did you get that gift? Because I don't know, because I never got the thank you note. It's like without <laughs> that, like there." It was, I gave you that gift, so in return, you need to give me some kind of gratitude for this, and and it's a polite way to do it, but when you're expecting it, that changes the whole dynamic. And you even say gratitude is not a transaction of debt and duty, it's rather gratitude is a spiritual awareness of uh, and a social structure of gift and response. So right. it's a whole different dynamic of way of thinking about it. But for us, when when it's so interwoven in who we are, how do we... What are some practical ways that we can start to be grateful in the way Jesus talked about it, not not the corrupted idea of gratitude that, that Rome had and that we all naturally do? How do we even do that practically? Well, I think that for people who are in religious leadership, and uh, especially for pastors and Christian churches, one of the most important things is to teach this differently. Um, you know, is that uh, we really do need entire sermon series on what gratitude truly is and what it isn't and help people to be able to see that uh, these dimensions of the story are really important. And, and you know, we're taping this um, during Holy Week. Yep. And one, one of the things that's fascinating to me is the idea of how gifts and indebtedness even get caught up in how we understand what goes on with the cross and that we, we talk about how God gave this gift of his son dying on the cross. And because this was such a great gift and it costs so much, we actually say to people, you're, you're obligated to give your life back to God. Mm-hmm. And so, so we, we have literally in churches yeah. turned the action of the cross into a structure of debt and duty. Whereas the idea is not that. The idea is the fact that God gave the gift of, of, of Jesus as an infant, as a human being, to grow and live among us, the, the one who is both God, fully God and fully human. And that, that Jesus embodies life at a table of thanksgiving. And the, the gift is not that he died. Because that was not the gift. The gift was that he lived. Yeah, and the yeah, gift and, and the gift was that he set this table in the wilderness that we might live differently. And Rome was so angry at the possibility of a different way of life, Rome killed him. Hmm. You know? Rome yeah. is the one that did that. It wasn't God giving us a gift of a son dying on a cross. What kind of God gives people a gift of a dead person hanging on a cross? Yeah. Okay. 
it was it god gave us life and, and rome killed it and then of course what happens in the story is that god doesn't it god's so pissed he's not going to mm-hmm. have that be the last word yeah you know it's like hey look i've been trying to tell you people this all the time is that these pyramid structures of violence and oppression and quid pro quo they kill you that's what Mo, that's what Pharaoh was about. That's what mm-hmm. sending my people into you know liberating them in the Exodus was about. I told you not to have kings that would wind up badly. You yep, didn't yep, listen to yeah. you didn't listen to me then. And this time I thought you'd listen. And guess what? I think my people were listening, but Rome didn't listen. And I'm not going to put up with it anymore. Mm. And so you get the power of the resurrection, which is the invitation into the idea that God's table is always going to overcome. Any kind of quid pro quo, any kind of violence that is done against the table, and that, and that, uh, we will feast hmm. um, with God. And of course, the Last Supper, you know, is very much part of the whole action of Holy Week. And so, so we are so weirdly caught up in a system of debt and duty that we even turn God's free gifts into quid pro quo. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, and and something that that we don't always think about, you know, because following Jesus is not an obligation, but it's a privilege. And and we don't follow Jesus because, oh, well, we have no other choice. We follow Jesus because it is the best thing that there is that this world has to offer, and it makes our lives better, and 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 we can be grateful in the midst of all of that, um, So which is which is a really cool way to, to think about it. So, so Diana, we, we want to thank you so much for, for taking the time. We want to be grateful for <laughs> <laughs> for the fact that you've I'm come. sure she hasn't heard that yeah. joke yet. These <laughs> you've made some time for us to come on and, and talk about uh, this whole attitude of gratitude, and uh, that we're so excited for your book that comes out today. That this is getting released. Yeah, we're recording this a little bit earlier, but the day that this uh, episode comes out, so you are able to get the the book in, in multiple places. Diana, can you tell uh, tell our, our listeners how they can find you and how they can find um, not just your grateful book, but you have, I believe, ten ten other books you've written um so tell us how they can find some of those oh my gosh well first of all i have to say thank you because i am grateful that Mm. your podcast is coming off out at the beginning of the easter season and Mm. there's in my mind no better time for christians to stop and consider gratitude and what it really means to live the resurrection you know not just say we believe it but to live it yep Mm. i agree so I, I I hope that people will pick up this book and and take it as a real serious invitation to uh, uh, live with Christ anew in this mm-hmm. this season of Easter. Uh, but uh, as for me, I am followable on Twitter and a public Facebook page, and I, I get kind of I, I I mix it up on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I do a, a bit bit of politics. I do a lot of spirituality. I talk about my dog. All those kinds of things. <laughs> nice. And so people can find me there. I also have a website. Um, all my books are available on um, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and through great local independent booksellers. Mm-hmm. So I just encourage people to uh, look me up online, uh, find me. Uh, I will say things that you love. I'll say things that make you mad. But I always <laughs> am trying to say things that um, draw us toward a deeper experience of the God yeah. who is love here in this world. That's so awesome. That's that's my vocation. That's great. awesome, uh, Diana. We we really appreciate uh, your time, and 
we really both enjoyed and, and loved the book and it makes us think differently mm-hmm. and even makes us think differently about Easter coming up. Like yeah, absolutely. What, what, what we're going to preach about and stuff. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we, <laughs> we really appreciate your time um, and have fun with your 20 other interviews today. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, bet this is, I bet this is the most theological. So, yeah. so uh, <laughs> yeah, for, that would so, not surprise me. Thank you. Yeah. So, so thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Great. It's always nice to talk to some Baltimore on. Yeah, that's right. I like it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a nice review. To support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash NYM Christian Podcast. Music provided by The Revived. Check them out at therevivedmusic.com. Stay connected with us by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter and Instagram.